Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. When you think about work life, how long do you think that work life lasts for most people or for you? It used to be you started work in your late teens or in your 20s, and you worked full-time until maybe 65. We know that's changed somewhat. People choose to sometimes work longer, or maybe they financially have no choice but to work longer. But it's based on this calculation that you're going to maybe live till your early 80s, which the actuarial tables would tell us is true. We know that's changing, though. So if you thought you were going to live much longer, say to 100, how would that change your calculation? Well, my guest today has thought a lot about longer lives and what they might mean for our work lives. His name is Ken Stern, and he's hosted for a new podcast called Century Lives, put out by the Stanford Center on Longevity. The podcast launches January 12th, and the premise behind it is that we're headed to that time and place where we're going to lead longer lives. And We need to make them rewarding lives and financially viable lives, and that's going to have implications for work and for lots of other things as well. I had a really great discussion with Ken. He had some interesting takeaways on how to think about work in the context of what might be a long life for some of us, or at least for our children. Organizations have started to think about how to deal with an older workforce, but there's a lot more in terms of adjustments ahead. So it's really a good time to have a discussion about how it might all come together. Really worth listening to, so please stay with us. Work lives change as we live longer and longer, maybe as long as 100 years. My guest today is Ken Stern. He is host of the new podcast, Century Lives, and he joins me now to talk about what we should maybe prepare for and expect. Hi, Ken. Hi, Linda. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I have a lot of questions about the new podcast, but you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your own career because I know it's broader than just doing this one project. Yeah, so uh, I've had a longer career, so it's appropriate to the the topic of this uh, conversation. Uh, I've spent, uh, I I like to say I've had careers in in all the the jobs that people hate, politics, law, media. Uh, I I spent time as a lawyer, spent time, uh, I was at NPR for about a decade as as both their chief operating officer and their CEO. Um, Since leaving there, I've written books, uh, done podcasts, uh, launched my own company, um, and excited to be doing this new podcast with Stanford. Well, it's an interesting concept for sure. You know, the statistic is if a baby is born today, might live for 100 years or 50%, I believe, will live for 100 years. But even without that, we are living longer lives and maybe changing expectations around that. Tell me about the podcast, how you're going to address that. So it starts with the concept uh, that you actually put down, Linda, that uh, a baby born today uh, in the United States or Canada is 50% chance of living to 100. Uh, and putting that into um, in, into context, um, you know, up until the eight, 19th century, our lives would last typically 30, 40, maybe at the outset, fit outside 50 years. Um, and most of the growth in human life expectancy has taken place over the last 150 years. So our, our recent ancestors uh, have given us 30 to 40 extra years of life, but no real manual how to live those years. 
So we've kind of appended it to the end of life um, without really thinking about sort of the whole arc of life. And the story of this podcast is how do we rethink sort of our map of life um, to, to steal a term from the Stanford Center of Longevity um, to optimize that 100-year life? So how do we rethink education, work, healthcare, uh, families to make sure that the 100-year life makes sense? You know what? There's so many parts of this. Let's concentrate on the work part of this for this podcast. Um, We are anecdotally and in the stats seeing that people are working longer than they used to, maybe by choice, maybe by financial necessity. I know you've talked to some of them. What's the kind of feeling about that? Are people positive about it? So I think by and large, no, Um, uh, because so I tell people uh, that, you know, in the future, their careers uh, aren't going to be 30 or 40 years. They might be 50 or 60 years. And no one likes that idea. Right. I mean, the idea that we're going to have to work longer, uh, we'll want to work longer um, uh, um, is sort of scary and alien because we've sort of set up our careers now so that they tend to expire around 65 and people sort of look for that end. The idea that we're going to work longer um, is scary because we really haven't thought about how to make longer careers. So one of the statistics is, you know, the next generation is going to have on average 25 jobs. Well, the education system's not set up to, to support someone as they change so many jobs. Does not the, the work life is not set up so people are part of multi-generational households and have to care for children and, um, and elders. So um, part of the rethinking of longer life is not just working longer, but how we work differently that makes sense over longer career, careers. Yeah, I can see if you say that to somebody who's in their 50s or 60s right now, they find it scary, right? 25 jobs, I'm going to have to change all the time. I don't know that you'd get the same reaction from somebody who's in their 20s or teens, right? Their expectations are different. Yes, that's a really interesting question. So I will tell you, so so the first season of the podcast, which launches on January 12th, is sort of the overview of, uh, of, of what we think of the new map of life and goes into all different domains. Second season, uh, which will be out in May, focuses entirely on work. And the first episode is going to be about, which we haven't done, so this is, uh, is going to actually spend time with Stanford uh, students who are part of a Design Your Life course who are thinking about sort of the 60-year career. And you're right, they're not, uh, they're not scared off by this notion that, hey, they're going to have lots of different jobs and they're going to take time off for different things. Um, but that's, it's a different notion because they have to think differently about work because it is going to be different in the future. It needs to be different in the future given longer life and, frankly, the need to fund longer, longer and need to fund, have longer careers to fund longer life. You know, we're changing it up right now, though, right? The pandemic has really, I think, changed a lot of things. What strikes you about that? So it's, it's changed uh, how people think about what's important to them, for one thing. So it's num- tons of things. I think the pandemic is going to be one of those generation-defining things. That's not a particularly brilliant insight for me. Um, but uh, uh, it's changed how people value things. So we see that in the big quit, the, the great retirement, the uh, great resignation. Mm-hmm. Yes, today, the number from today is that 4.5 million people in America, the most ever in one month, have quit their jobs, some to take care of family, some to early retirement, some to take new jobs. Uh, and part of it, I think, reflects the fact that people want, uh, know that they need to value things in their lives differently. It's also changed how and where we work. Telework is going to change. Um, and I think for older workers, I think it op- potentially opens up doors. It's been very hard for older workers in America to keep jobs, but often forced out um, prematurely. The idea of telework and more work flexibility, which is, I think, a key notion, um, is will come out of the pandemic in an important way. 
Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of the statistics on the Great Resignation. We don't have a ton of stats by age, but I know just anecdotally talking to people who are older, they don't feel like they have those options, right? They feel like if you have a job, you have to hold on to it. Now, it could be because it is harder to find work, but again, it could also be that they're used to having that security of the one job. Yeah, so I think uh, you see a portion of the Great Resignation people going into early retirement. Uh, some of that, I think, is by choice. Some is not. Um, uh, but I do think, right, that older workers have a more difficult job time finding work, finding new work. Um, that's sort of clear on statistics over a long period of time. If older workers are laid off, it takes much longer than younger workers to find new work. So I think you're right. I think you're right, Linda, that older workers are probably you know, clinging to work more because they are going to have less choice. And less time to make up for it. Now, if we're to rethink this, if we're thinking about these longer careers or work lives, whatever you want to call them, a lot of things are going to have to change, right? You mentioned educational institutions. What do you see there? Yeah, so so let's sort of take 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 a step back and the notion, uh, Linda, that right now we sort of have a three stage life. We're educated till we're eighteen or twenty one. We work till we're sixty or sixty five, and then after that, we retire and die. I mean, that's sort of basically the sort of the structure of life, pretty grim sounding there. Uh, um, that's not going to work in the future, and it's already broken down. I mean, you can't change job, have 25 different jobs, um, and over the course of 50 years, rely on what you learned when you were 16, 17, 18, 19. So the education system is going to need to um, uh, change in order to provide people lifelong learning. And you already see that there are actually a million uh, um adult certificate programs out there in the United States, sort of the wild west to fit this need. Um, but what you don't see and what we spend a lot of time is thinking about how does sort of the existing institutional players, universities, colleges um, respond and help um, um, educate people over the course of life. Some schools do think about that. Purdue, for instance, calls it Purdue for life. Uh, and they really try, and Arizona State does something similar, really try to educate people over the course of life. But that's a very minority view among sort of important institutional players. So our education episode and our thinking about education is how do you encourage and support people who need to learn over the course of longer, longer work lives? It means the rethinking for the institutions, too, because their big offering, the prestige thing, is the degree, right? You got your BA or BSc or MBA or whatever from this institution, and you're done, and that's great. And apparently, it's not going to matter that much. I mean, if you're, it already doesn't in a lot of ways. But credentialism, I think, arguably, is going to come under some uh, scrutiny. Yeah, it already has, right? I mean, okay. you can see that in a lot of the conversation about diversity. Um, and, you know, truth of the matter is if you think about what you learned, I mean, I'm 58, what I learned in college 37 years ago, not terribly relevant to what I do today. Uh, it's still an important piece of paper that I wave around, but it's not as critical, it's not as critical, um, uh, to who I am and what I do. Um, and that's going to, and sort of the attenuation that's going to continue over the course of longer, longer careers. But what you're saying, Linda, I think is right, which is, uh, sort of existing players, um, the major universities, the top tier universities are pretty uh, successful in what they do. They make tons of money off of undergraduates and um, they have large endowments. They're not uh, as interested in others as sort of rethinking the system that does so well for them today. 
Okay, so does that mean they will have more competition? Other kind—I mean, you're already seeing this. We're seeing online courses and you know boot camps for tech and everything else. Is this all going to blow up? It's not just about older workers, right? It's about everything changing. Yeah, I think it's already happening. So you know, I think right now we see the first echoes of major institutional change. Um, and in our podcast, you know, we bring in Mitchell Stevens from Stanford, who talks about some of those changes that are already going on. So you see the Googles and Microsoft, Facebooks, which are actually doing their own credential systems, basically saying, we don't care that you went to you know, uh, UCLA. We want you to be credentialed in what we do. Um, and we don't care whether you didn't go to UCLA. And so that's happening in the tech world. Um, you see tons of community colleges and other sort of new players moving in, but it's a little bit of the wild west that consumers don't actually know what they're buying uh, and they don't know the economic value of it and they don't know what to do with it. Um, I mean, there are literally, literally a million different credential programs in the United States, uh, the United States alone. So part of this is like, how do you bring order and certainty um, to the system of lifelong learning like that you have for you sort of you have now for undergraduate learning? Ken, how does this relate to lifelong learning? If people are not really sure about coming back to school, I mean, maybe they never went in the first place, how do you get them to even think this way, that this is important, that it's not just you did it and you're done? Yeah, so part of this is this whole concept, the new map of life, and our podcast is really about reframing how people think about life. Um, you know, for the last hundred years, we've been told that we should stuff all of our learning into the first quartile of life. Um, part of this is to Part of this is a sort of social change to understand that if you're going to have longer careers and longer life, you need to learn over the course of, of, of longer life, um, or you're not going to be competitive. You're not going to have the job and careers that you want. The second thing is, is to actually change the education system so it supports lifelong learning. I mean, governments, by and large, um, really support learning for um, grammar school and for college and a little bit for graduate school. Um, but they don't really incentivize and support lifelong learning. And that needs a change. And also business needs to change as well. I mean, the idea of a longer career, I think, is that people are going to not have a linear career. They're going to drop out for learning. They're going to drop out for caregiving. They're going to have to come back in. And it's really hard to do that now. You see that um, every day. Um, but that's going to need to change if, it's going to, if, if this longer life and longer career is going to make sense. What about organizations? Are they thinking about this sufficiently? I know, you know, they say they are, and we have people who are perhaps changing things up in terms of, you know, their work as they, they get older. But is this really on the agenda yet? I think by and large, no. Um, uh, um, uh, I think companies um, and other sort of key players think very sort of um, uh, um, about training and supporting learning in a very sort of tactical way. Um, that may change, though. I think one of the things of the pandemic, we talked about the pandemic, is we see a lot more job hopping and a lot more demand for, um, um, for change. And I think one of the ways that companies keep and retain employees is to understand that they need change, they need to learn, they need to grow and provide more and more opportunities for that. Um, I don't think that's happened yet, but I think it is starting to creep onto the agenda from what I can tell. If we're talking about longer lives and you know longer careers, and people are going to change companies. Are you going to see organizations invest in training at all? Because even now, they're worried about people leave, people leaving. Right? Yeah. So uh, I think if I'm a head of HR at a company now, and I'm seeing four and a half million people quit jobs in one month, um, and the cost of 
acquiring new employees and training new employees is huge. So every time you lose an employee, um, it costs you. It costs you in efficiency, it costs you in learning, it costs you in, in your knowledge base. Um, it hits your bottom line. I think you know people need to sort of think very. Di- companies need to think very differently in the future about about this. Um, you know, and that means thinking about sort of longer careers and that people will change jobs and change careers because they will need to. Uh, and that's a big mind change. I, I think I remember talking to a head of HR at a major airline about older workers and her interest was getting rid of older workers, um, you know, because they're more expensive. Um, that's going to need to change because the economics of, of, of work is all and, and of companies are all going to change. So some as with any big, any big sort of cultural shift, some companies are ahead of the curve and some airlines are behind it. <laughs> Interesting. What about public policy? I mean, this the policies we have were created for a different world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a tough time to talk about public policy, at least in the United States. Um, you know, many of the funding programs for education and work were built around this very linear three-stage life. Um, I do know that there are a lot of people in the federal government and on Capitol Hill who are thinking about the topic of how do you fund sort of lifelong learning, lifelong training, and the need to incentivize that. And that's true for people who have college degrees and it's people who don't have college degrees. Two-thirds of, the, uh, of, of workers in the United States don't have college four-year college degrees. Um, uh, I think, but public policy in the United States, as you know, moves pretty slowly these days. So I think it's most places. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we have the honor of being slower than most. Uh, but um, you know, so I think a lot of that will trail change. Um, but you know, I think the demand that's the demand's already growing, right? It's already a huge demand for training programs and lifelong learning. Um, public policy and companies are trailing behind. Okay, so if we go ten years from now, not you know. Uh, not 50 years from now, when the kids born now will be well into their careers, but 10 years from now, when you have Gen Xers maybe at the top or nearly the end of their careers and boomers pretty much out of the labor force, how different do you think views will be towards work and older workers? That's a super interesting and super hard question, Linda. <laughs> um, I, I think, so let's take a, a, two different um I mean, I think, you know, I don't think the pandemic has necessarily helped the cause of older workers. Um, uh, I'd like to think that, um, you know, in 10 years time, um, understanding of sort of the need to work longer and the capabilities of older workers to work till 65, 75, 85 will catch up. I'm just, I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, uh, But I do think you know, I do think it's this next generation, really, the kids starting out today um, who really do have that. I mean, you, you start off by, by sort of posing the question. I do think they have a different perspective of, of longer careers. And I think that will ultimately shape um, how we understand this, this new map of life. Okay. It's kind of an exciting time, maybe a little bit scary. Ken, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure, Linda. Thanks for having me. Ken Stern is the host of the new podcast, Century Lives. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Ken and about the podcast, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find more there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. 
Now, if you did enjoy this discussion about the future of work, please take a moment and leave a review or a rating wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find us and that will really help us keep these discussions going. Thank you so much for listening and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. Thank you.